Proverbs chapter number 30 this morning. Again, the book of Proverbs chapter number 30. So good to see you here with us today. There's a man who is well known in evangelical circles to have confessed on or whatever, but his name was Jared Bridges. He's a well-known Christian author and theologian. He served for a long time with the Navigators organization. Wrote several books, and one of the books he wrote had this title called Respectable Sin, Respectable Sin. If I may quote from a, the introduction or preface to this book, it says these words, this book, as the title announces, is about sin, not the obvious sins of our culture, but the subtle sins of believers, the target audience of this book. So let me say up front that I am not without the sins addressed in this book. In fact, you will find that I sometimes use my own sad experiences as examples of some of these sins. The motivation for this book stems from a growing conviction that those of us whom I call conservative evangelicals may have become so preoccupied some of the major sins of society around us, that we have lost sight of the need to deal with our own more refined or subtle sins. I guess in some ways, as in a in point of this series in Proverbs, we've looked at several issues here, whether discipline or self-control, or work ethic. See, even as we talked about last week in pride, all in an effort to address some of these things. As I look around, as much as I agree on the sanctity of marriage being between one man and one woman, and we as a church do not apologize for holding that position, I'm not sure how much of an issue probably is right here within our church. But yet there are so many things that go on in these marriages between men and women, even among evangelicals. So much abuse and enmity and resentment towards each other that often we don't have much room to stand and tell the world, you should do it our way. Yes, we are proudly pro-life, and we don't, again, apologize on that. Again, it's not so much that we are for abortion or euthanasia or infanticide as much as we are for harboring grudges, bitterness, resentment against each other, sometimes allowing it to destroy our churches. And so, as Bridges says, we in the evangelical church will 
proudly plant our flag against these sins, and we should. Meanwhile, we never address the respectable sins in our midst. And so you will not be surprised to know one of Jerry Bridges' sins in chapter 15, in fact. If you're looking at your handout there in the bulletin or on the screen, I guess, behind me, it's the sin of anger. Or you're not looking at the screen behind me. In fact, he not only addresses anger, but he uses two chapters, chapter 15 and chapter 16, to address what he calls the weeds of anger, such as resentment and bitterness. And again, if I can quote from his opening paragraph in chapter 15, he states these words, quoting a man named Robert Jones. It says, Robert Jones in his book, Uprooting anger wrote, anger is a universal problem, prevalent in every culture, experienced by every generation. No one is isolated from its presence or immune from its poison. It permeates each person and it spoils the most intimate relationships. Anger is a given part of our fallen human fabric. And then Jones added, sadly, this is true even in our Christian homes and churches. That's why the writer of Proverbs writes these words in our text this morning, Proverbs 30, verse 32. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. Pressing milk produces curds. Pressing the nose produces blood. Pressing anger produces strife. Again, look at this text. If you have been foolish, running around, exalting yourself, promoting yourself, boasting about yourself. I didn't talk about this last week when we talked about pride, but this is another consequence, isn't it? Pride turns people against you, causes people to resent you. People are naturally repulsed by a braggart. If you have been exalting yourself, if you've been devising evil, if you've been running around and plotting against another person, doing things that ought not to be done, if this is you, stop it. Quit it. Put your hand over your mouth, Proverbs says. Quit these actions. Why? Because you want cheese and press milk. You want someone's nose to bleed? Press their nose. Punch them in the nose is what I want to say here, but press on their nostrils. If you want strife and conflict, press on someone. Make them angry. Make them get to the place where they explode against you in anger and rage. You want to have a problem. Push someone's anger. Let's qualify before we go any further. Anger is not always a bad thing. We speak of the fact that God is a God of wrath, a God who punishes out of anger. Psalm 78 tells us that the people of Israel, even after crossing the Red Sea and God providing manna and need in the wilderness, they doubted that God would take care of them. Psalm 78 tells us, therefore, when the Lord heard, 
He was full of wrath. The fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger arose against Israel because they did not believe in God and they did not trust the saving power. The Lord was angry because, again, the Israelites said, we're coming out in the wilderness to die, even though God had drowned the Egyptians, even though he had provided water out of a rock, even though he had provided manna. They still complained and murmured. God was angry. Psalm 7 verse 11 tells us God is a righteous judge. He's a God who feels indignation every, every day. We know that Jesus, when he went to the temple, was filled with anger at the fact that the house of prayer was being made a den of robbers. It was being exploited for financial profit. In his anger, he overthrows the tables of the money changers. And in case you're wondering, this meek and mild, soft little, I'll never hurt a flea, Jesus obviously scared the daylights out of these people. You're making a good financial profit, and you've got some weakling standing in your way. You're going to knock them over. You're not taking away my money, sorry. If you look like you're facing somebody, it's going to knock you in the next week. Jesus was angry. So it's perfectly right to be angry at sin, to be angry at injustice. In fact, Psalms often speaks of anger. David asked, how long, God, before you act? How long, how long before you bring vengeance on my enemies? These are what is referred to as imprecatory psalms. They are psalms in which the author calls down calamity, destruction, and God's anger and judgment on his enemies. So it is right to be angry at times, to be angry at injustice, to be angry at sin, to be angry when God's name and glory are violated and blasphemed. However, the reality is most of us find ourselves angry not because of the righteousness of God, but because of our own sinful actions and habits. The New Dictionary of Biblical Theology defines anger as a state of disturbing and energizing passion in which strong negative emotion is triggered by a perception of wrong done to oneself or others. Or both. But I think the key word there is that word perception. We perceive that a wrong, that an injustice has been done to us. And again, I'm not saying that's the case, that you have not been wrong. Some of you clearly have, and you have shared stories over the years of injustice that is done, and it makes me angry. It's made you angry. It's clearly out of step with what God wants. be honest. Many of us are angry at what we only perceive to be injustices. Just think about this issue of road rage. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Yes, you're upset. Yes, your nice, easy drive and your little uh, half-hearted stares all of a sudden stop and your heart is racing and pounding and you're slamming on the brakes. Yes, the person is wrong. Does the wrong, however, really 
really rise to the occasion of you chasing them down and driving past them and flipping them off and yelling at them. There's no scratch on your vehicle and, and your heart's beginning to settle down. And yet we react in rage and then all of a sudden what should be a, a nice easy drive down the road turns into a mess all because of anger. Or we get more real, your spouse says something to you. Again, sometimes they are trying to provoke you. What the text says, and we're going to talk about that here. But sometimes it's, it's a misunderstanding. You're thinking about one thing, and she's thinking about something different. Sometimes what they're saying is true, and you don't want to face that reality. Sometimes their words are stemming from something in their own life. They're not feeling well. They've had a stressful day at work. They whatever have these problems and, and, and yet instead of seeking to understand and seeking to come to an agreement we instantly go off on them and then they go off on us and we go off on them and the next thing you know there is great division we should not be allow our anger to get the best of us and it winds up causing a lot more damage than it should in fact, this leads into my first point, which is this. Where, where does anger come from? Where does anger come from? Where, where do we get this anger that sometimes is in our life? And the Proverbs are not silent when it comes to this. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Anger often simply comes from harsh words. We say things we shouldn't say. We speak out in ways that we should not speak out. And what happens? Well, go back to the opening text. Someone punches you in the nose. Your nose is bleeding. Go down to Lehigh Valley Dairy Farms. Squeezing milk together, producing cheese and whatever else. And our harsh words are pressing another person, and it is making them anger, angry. And by the way, this is a challenge on both sides of the coin, isn't it? I have an obligation to respond in a correct way to what you say to me. I have a responsibility as a Christian and in my sanctification, my becoming more like Christ, I have a responsibility to guard my mouth and to watch what I say to you. Will I allow the harsh words you speak to me, push me over the edge? I have an obligation. Consider that. And yet on the other hand, what are the words that I am saying? Am I inciting you to anger with the words I am using towards you? Paul spoke to this specifically in Ephesians chapter 6 when he speaks to fathers. And he says these words, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Train them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
How often do fathers provoke their children to anger? Yes, sometimes it's abuse. Sometimes it's neglect. Sometimes it's mistreatment. Other times it is simply in the words that they use. Sometimes people my age, your age if you're older, to be around our fathers, Something can be said. Suddenly there are years and years of pent-up emotion and anger that comes up from inside of us. Yes, our fathers are weak and they're frail now and they, they couldn't hurt anything. And here we are strong and in the pride of life and, and prime of life. And yet, yet these verbally abusive words have driven our children to anger. Anger often comes from harsh words. Anger also comes. Comes from jealousy. Jealousy. Proverbs 6, 34. Jealousy makes a man furious. He will not spare when he takes revenge. Now let's clarify this verse, okay? Proverbs 6, verses 20 to 35 are referring to an adulterous woman. Referring to a young man, Proverbs, Solomon is writing to his son. He's saying, son, you have to stay away from this woman that you are not married to. One of the reasons is because if her husband finds out, jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare you. And so, yes, if you find yourself, young men, Young women, older men, older women, in a situation where someone is driving you into the arms of someone you are not married to, please understand this is another consequence of those actions. I dare say it's not just jealousy over our spouse. You come to work every day. Someone else is getting that promotion. No one recognizes all that we do and all the hard week, work that we put in. The neighbor always has the nice house, the fancy car. Here we are struggling around, seeming getting nowhere in life, and we look around and we say, how come they deserve that? I'm better than they are. How come they are getting all of these things? Genesis 4 tells us that Cain brings to the Lord an offering. An offering of the first fruit of the fruit of his ground, the plants that he had grown. Abel also brings of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord had regard in Genesis 4, verse 4, for Abel and his offering, but for Cain. For his offering he had no regard, verse 5, for Cain was very angry, and his face fell. His countenance fell. It was written all over his face. Anger comes from harsh words. It comes from jealousy. Let's think now, secondly, about the destructive, the destructive effects of anger. Reality is uncontrolled anger, anger that is left unchecked. Anger that will necessarily have a destructive impact on our lives. 
it will impact us in a negative manner. Again, we look at our text, pressing someone's anger winds up in conflict, and it's not just there in Proverbs 30. Proverbs 15, verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. A hot-tempered man, a man who flies off the handle, will stir up confrontation. He who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 29, verse 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife. One given anger causes much transgression. How many conflicts could be avoided if we would simply learn to control our anger and yet we don't and what happens strife and conflicts always always arises it always gets the best of us I often wonder every once in a while when I see a boxing or UFC fighting Emotion, and they get these guys in there. They weigh them on the scale, and the guys are there, shirtless, and they're flexing their muscle. They're standing nose to nose to each other. And every once in a while, a fight breaks out, even in this pre-fight press conference. And I sit there and I wonder: Is this real, or is this is this fake? Is this stage? Is this WWE wrestling type stuff? Again, you can imagine how it's real because what do they want? Want a good fight. Only way to have a good fight is to have people good and mad at each other. Want people staring at each other and being angry with each other. Many conflicts in our life could be avoided if we would simply simply control our anger. Notice, secondly, anger opens the door to all all kinds of sinful behavior. Proverbs 19, verse 18, discipline your son. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. If I read that right, it looks to me like if I don't take time to discipline my children, I am setting them on a path of death. Harsh words, isn't it? Well, the mom can handle it. Well, it's not what it says. It says your job, your responsibility. Well, their dad can handle it. It's not just their dad's problem, it's yours as well. If you fail to discipline, you are setting them on a path to death. Verse 19 a man of great wrath will pay the penalty. Why? Because if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. You are always belling out your children. We have somebody in my family. They never, you probably have seen it before, they never hold their children accountable. There's always an excuse. There's always a reason why. You will not be surprised that these family members of mine have criminal records spent time locked away in various prisons around the state of Kansas. Why? Because a man of great wrath will 
pay the price for his wrath. And if you don't discipline him, guess what? You're going to do the same thing over and over and over again. Anger left unchecked always leads to destructive outcomes. I mentioned Cain and Abel. You remember the story of Haman and Mordecai in the book of Esther? Esther chapter 3, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and he advanced him, and he set his throne above all the officials. Haman was second in command in the kingdom. And all the other officials, all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. The king had commanded, everyone will bow to Haman for this one official named Mordecai. Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Mordecai was a Jew. Mordecai bowed only to to the Lord. Verse 5, when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down, pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. He displayed disdain to lay hands on Mordecai alone. No, I'm so angry it's not enough just to kill Mordecai. So as they made known to him, the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. I'm not just going to kill you. I'm going to kill your wife, your kids, your cousins, your uncles, everyone that is a Jew because of his anger. Of course, you probably remember the story. Haman plotted to kill all the Jews, build a gallows to have Mordecai hung. One night, the king couldn't sleep, and so he had the records of his reign read to him, and he found out that Mordecai actually saved his life, and so he had Haman honor Mordecai publicly, and the man that he wanted to kill, he was running around the streets and and, and telling everyone, worship and exalt Mordecai. Esther has a banquet where she exposes, exposes the plot of Haman to have the Jews destroyed, and Haman is devastated. He's hung on the same gallows that he had built for Mordecai. And it's all because he failed to control his anger. And I'm not saying that your enemy, your adversary is going to get the best of you and you're going to be humiliated. You might be. The fact of the matter is Anger destroys our homes, churches, workplaces, societies. So what do we do about it? My last point this morning, what do we do about it? All of us is made as humans in the image of God. We feel the fiery passion of anger. It is justifiable when it is righteously motivated. We are within our rights as believers to act in good and proper ways. But what do we do when this emotion is battling inside of us and getting the best of us? Proverbs 29, verse 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. Wise man quietly, quietly holds it back. Fool just lets it all out. He doesn't care. He's mad, and you're going to know it. 
Wiseman says, yes, I may have a right to be angry, but this is not the situation. This is not the situation. Driving down the highway at 75 miles an hour, three children and my wife, more importantly, my dog in the back. Oh, wait, I didn't say that. I don't have a dog. Don't worry. Trust me, I'm far below in their level of importance than any dog or bird or whatever. Is that really the time to get mad and driving like an idiot to go and get revenge on someone who has cut you off in traffic? Wise man knows. He understands that there are times when you have to, and again, I'm not saying you just hold it in until you erupt, but you handle it in a proper manner and fashion. Secondly, we probably probably should watch the people we run around with. Proverbs 22, verse 24, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. When we have seen riots and stuff going on in the streets of our country, There have been people genuinely angry. Again, whether or not anger was justified probably depends on your side of the political aisle. There have been a lot of people who said, well, yeah, I don't know if I really agree with that, but what happens? They're enticed. They're incited to act up. They're enticed. They're, they're, being, they're being persuaded by someone to go out, and all of a sudden this anger is boiling up with them, and, and someone you would never imagine is acting in a sinful way. And all of a sudden they're being picked up in a paddy wagon, thrown in jail. Life is ruined. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not the... Red-headed Irishman. We don't have any of those here today, do we? We do, my apologies. Maybe you're not the person who's naturally hot-tempered, but who, who are you allowing to influence your life? Finally, Proverbs 15, the soft answer. We've already read it. Turns away wrath. Turns away wrath. You're facing that situation. You're ready to react and unleash your fury. But it seems to be better. If, like our text said, you put your hand over your mouth and answer it in a gentle, soft manner. More importantly, we should probably look to the example of Christ. First Peter chapter number 2 is where I'll finish. Peter says these words, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Okay, probably the word slave is better translated there, but a lot of English translations don't want to use that word because of the connotations in our society and what it means. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also also to the unjust. I mean, not just the guys that treat you well, but sometimes the ones that treat you poorly. 
For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow and suffering unjustly. What credit is it if you, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it? You go and kill someone, you get life in prison, you're not a hero in more ways than one, but you get what you deserve. But when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was the seed found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. These are tough words to think about. The reality of the matter is this. Christ had every reason to be angry, didn't he? He was entirely innocent. He had committed no sin. Again, verse 22. Nothing was wrong deserving of what he did. We used to sing that old song. He could have called 10,000 angels to come and set him free. Isaiah tells us like a lamb led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. Read verse 24 here, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? So that we can die to anger, that we can die to resentment and bitterness. So that we can look at these things and say, no more in my life. You will not have dominion over me. I am not going to allow my sinful, angry passions to ruin my life anymore. I am going to live for the healing that Christ's death has provided for me. And again, I'm not saying that there are not times when people who commit injustice and wrong should be punished. Sometimes the best thing you can do is leave your abusive husband or wife Sometimes the best thing you can do is turn in that child predator to the authorities. Sometimes the best thing you can do is leave a job or wherever that's causing you this heartache and this grief. But while you're going through it all, you have to ask yourself this question. Am I going to allow these passions and these angers get the best of me? Am I going to realize Christ died so that I can live in victory over these things? No doubt we live in an angry society. People put something on social media and it causes all kinds of firestorms. We as Christians are called to be different. 
again, you're going to stand up and you're going to support pro-life causes. You're going to protest against abortion. You're going to do that. You're going to do it in love and in kindness, not in anger. We're going to protest injustices done in Washington and Harrisburg, but we are going to do it in love and in kindness. We may have to stand against an employer. We may have to stand against a stuff, but we are going to do it not in anger that destroys life. Trusting the God who says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So if you're here and you don't know Christ as Savior, You'll be honest and say, yeah, that's one of my faults. I get angry at everything. Maybe you're angry at me for preaching this this morning. Thanks for not acting up. Listen to me. I want you to know there's healing for that. There's healing found in the cross of Christ. The anger can be replaced with the spirit of peace and joy and love. You can know the peace of God that passes all understanding. I like those words, that's here. I mean, I don't even know why I'm feeling this way. I ought to be burning the house down. Yet you've got that peace in your heart. If that's you and you don't know Christ, today is that day. Today is that day to accept him. If you're here and you're struggling with issues of anger again, Ask yourself the question, is it justifiable? If it is, Lord, help me to act in a right and just manner. Help me to do the right thing even as I make a stand for what is right. If it's not justifiable, is it really worth potential destruction in my past? Ask yourself that question. Is it really worth it, the fact that I trip over my son's shoes, lash out and beat him and whip him, which I don't do because they're all bigger now, so don't worry. They're stronger and whatever else. But have him walk away from my house and never speak to me again. Is that really worth it? And yes, they're worth like 45 shoes and they're big. They stink and they're in the way. Maybe there's something more important with your life. Maybe there's something more important. The fact that, you know, Mary just just doesn't do exactly what I want her to, and so I'm going to give it to her. Fact is, she'll give it right back to me, but it's her house. Don't worry. (laughs) Maybe there's something more important. Maybe there's a 25th and 50th anniversary. Matters a lot more than me being right. Now let's pray this morning, shall we? Well, Lord, this is a difficult subject. Because the reality is every single one of us struggle in some way or another. And Lord, there are people here this morning have had severe injustices done in their life. 
Lord abused from his spouse and went south, maybe even a corn stall. Lord, they've been fired from a job. And now they're struggling to make ends meet. Lord, maybe they've dealt with loss in their life and they just are struggling to make sense of it all. Lord, their anger is real and justified. It may even be pointed at you, God. Pray that you would speak to them and minister to them and show them that it is, there is hope. God can use that situation for their good and for his glory. Give them the answer to approach it, not in a state and fit of anger, but in wisdom. Even if that means separation, even if that means walking away, even if that means drastic changes, let them do it with wisdom. Pray that you administer it in their hearts. Lord, I pray for individuals here like me. so easily get angry over stupid things that don't matter. I get angry at my kids that have done the things that don't matter. Or angry at some guy that I've never even seen before and never see again because he does something in a fit of whatever. Now all of a sudden my family's life, I'm putting the lives of thousands of people on the highway in jeopardy because I want to get revenge. Lord, forgive us. And help us when this thing stirs up to remember Savior Day. Savior is having his beard plucked out. Our Savior is having his back beaten. Savior is being called a blasphemer. Savior has been mocked and ridiculed and stripped naked on a cross. Help me to see him. To realize because he failed to be knocked out and hanged, our sins are paid for. Our wounds are healed. And we're made clean. Do this in Jesus' name we pray. Let's sing with our seniors. Let's sing with our time. Worship.